Good morning. Welcome to Central Church. First Sunday of the year. So glad you are here. It's going to be a great, great year ahead. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. You'll see more about that as we, as we go through today and, and really every Sunday in the next year. As many of you know, if you've been around here for any length of time, one of the deals in my life is that I get migraines and I have chronic migraines, have them, you know, 15 to 20 a month. If I didn't take the medicine I do, it'd be 30 days a month, blah, blah, blah. I wrote a book on the, the whole chronic pain and the issue. Who cares about that? I tell you all that to, to tell you this story. I, when I was in Kansas, this is probably seven or eight years ago, I had a massive migraine, one of the worst that I've ever had. I mean, it was really, really bad. And, and so I came home, I was at the church, I came home and I, and I got, when I get a migraine that bad, it's like a 13 on a scale of one to 10, I have to be like in a quiet room, dark lights, you know, think of it as a, as a, as a, a, a slurpy brain freeze times like 10. That was what was going on. And so I'm in this room, it's all dark, all sound, all noise, all smells away. And, and I, I took, I have a drug that I can take when it's really, really bad. And so it, it took it from like a 13 to a, a nine or something like that. And I had a really super busy week. And so I knew I had to, you know, I couldn't just lay around. And so, so I got my computer out and I started, I wanted to do some work. And when I got it out, I could not see. I mean, I could not, my, my, it was, my vision was so incredibly blurry. And I thought, oh my land, what is going on here? I've never, you know, I've had, I've had massive migraines and my vision has been all right. I could not see. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go, usually if I go to sleep uh, in the morning and I wake up, I describe it this way, that I have kind of a hangover. Your pastor gets a hangover now and then. Um, but it's just kind of fuzzy. And so, but usually it's, it's better than, than the day before. And that's exactly what happened. So I woke up, had this hangover, uh, still a little fuzzy, but I was doing better. I grabbed my glasses, see about my vision. I put on, and when I grabbed my glasses, I discovered something about my migraine the night before. I was missing a lens. How can you not know you're missing a lens? How can your wife, your attentive wife, not know that her husband only has one eyeglass in his glasses? I'm no ophthalmologist, but I think I know you need to have two. And so my whole, you know, freaking out that my vision was going to pot it was all because, you know, I'm missing a lens. So I went, I looked, I looked, I looked. I remembered the day before when I, my migraine was raging, I dropped my glasses when I got in my car and sure enough, there was my lens. What's worse than, than, than missing a lens? <laughs> What's worse than missing a lens is dropping your iPad 30, or 15 minutes before a funeral, which I did yesterday. <laughs> Garage floor one, iPad zero. Anyway, what's worse than all that? It's a people not having vision who have two perfectly good eyes, but have no vision. What's worse is a people that have no vision of where they're heading or what they're doing, and, and, and that, that, those people that doesn't last long. Listen, growing, motivated, spirit-filled churches must have a God-given vision of not only what, what God can do, but how they can partner with God and see God at work through them, in them, in their surroundings, in their community, and where, where God is leading. We're calling this series 2020 because kind of, you know, you feel obligated when you're a preacher and it's 2020 and you got to preach a sermon, 2020 vision, because it's year 2020. So that's what we're doing, sort of. But... We're making this, we're saying it's 2020 vision, but believing is seeing. 
which goes against usually, usually you've said it before, you know, seeing is believing. When I see it, I'll believe it. When the Lions win the Super Bowl, I'll believe it. <laughs> that didn't happen anytime soon. But in faith, in faith, faith, it, believing precedes seeing. Even though I don't see it, I'm going to trust that God's going to work. Even though I, all the odds are stacked against me, I believe God's going to move. Even though I'm in the middle of this storm, I believe that God is going to get me through this storm. It's believing leads to seeing. Believing that God can work in your midst. Believing no matter what all is going on, it, that God can, can work. Now, you've heard sermons preached on this before, and usually the preacher quotes Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a great verse that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And of course, you know, and that's true, it's true, it's true. You gotta have vision. Our vision, you know, we hear, we say it all the time around here. You were wearing, some of you wearing shirts, some of you were wearing shirts today, you know, in Flint, as it is in heaven. That's what our prayer is, you know, that, that God would work and his kingdom would come and his will would be done right here, right here, right here, in Flint, as it is in heaven. But listen, it's got to be more than something we stick on a shirt. It's got to be more than, than, than something that, that the preacher preaches on or that we pray about. Every, it's got to be more than words. It's just words. It's nothing. And Paul, I think, understood that. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, he's talking to a group of believers. And he's talking about the gospel and how the gospel must be more than words. And he says, it, it's got to be more than words. It has to be power, the Holy Spirit, and a deep conviction. The gospel came not simply with words, but with power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I love it, a deep conviction, not just a little conviction, a deep, deep in your bones, deep in the, 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 your heart of hearts conviction. When you have that, when you have that kind of power at work, when you have the Holy Spirit at work, that's when you can see a, God, a God-given vision take, take fruit. There's nothing blurry about that. That's when, when God moves in a great, great way. So, you know, this year, 2020 is our, our centennial celebration and you saw the first greeting from Dr. Busick, and you'll see more of those each week. And, and we're having our big blowout celebration in October, save the date, October 11th. That's the big day. And General Superintendent David Graves will be here, and it's going to be, you know, and we'll bring in former pastors and spouse and stuff, and it'll be great. We're celebrating our faithful past these last hundred years. But more than that, we're celebrating our hope-filled future. We believe that if we move forward... With this vision, if we really believe, why would God, why would Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. All right, this is how you need to pray. You need to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus teach us to pray that if we didn't think he could do that? Clearly, clearly God can do that. That that his will could be done, his kingdom could come on earth in Flint as it is in heaven. And you know, you know, you know how it is. Just like last week, last week we were visiting our boys in Kansas City, and this happens all the time. You know, you go through TSA, you give them your driver's license, they look at it, oh, Rob Prince, you're from Grand Blanc, Michigan. No, I'm from Grand Blanc, Michigan. Where, 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 where's that? That's by Flint. We live right by Flint. Oh. <laughs> you know, that always happens. Here's my prayer. I don't know how long it's going to take. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be in 10 years or maybe it'll be in 20 years. Here's my prayer. You want to know my prayer? You're traveling on an airplane. You go to the TSA. You give them your driver's license. They look at it. Where are you from? Grand Blanc? No, I'm from Grand Blanc. Where's that? That's by Flint. Wow. 
You live in Flint. Wow, you lucky dog. Except in the winter. Wow. That city is transformed. Wow. I've been reading about it in the news. Wow. You've got all these great things going on. Wow. It's amazing. It's a miracle how, how that city has so been transformed. That's what, that's what we're praying every week. Not just... Not just that the TSA people would be, would be excited, but that our city can be excited about what God can do in our midst. See, I believe that God has placed us here. We've been around for 100 years. I believe that God has placed us here. We've been 100 years in the making. For what? For such a time as this. I really believe, I honestly believe that our best years can be ahead. Why? Because our city does have some issues. And because it does need the voice of of. Of, of the church and, and the power and the Holy Spirit and the deep conviction that God can do something awesome in our midst. It's saying, saying we believe that God is at work and, and no matter what anyone else says, that God is at work in our city, in our town, and he can transform it. He can build it into his kingdom. We can see his will done right here, right here, right here. He's positioned us here. You know, most churches, um, like people, have a life cycle. And a lot of churches, you know, they die after 50 or maybe 75 years. And sometimes churches are dead and they don't know it for another 10 years after that. But eventually they, you know, they're done. We've been 100 years. We're not dying. We're not on life support. This is, um, you know, who cares? We're the 13th largest Nazarene church in the country. Big deal. What's important is that we have a vision about what God can do. Well, it's important that it's more than words, way more than words, but it's power. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a deep conviction about how God can work in our midst. That's what we're talking about here. I, again, I believe the best days for Central Church are ahead. So I got thinking about that. Who in the Bible, who in the Bible could best exemplify that and of our situation, our circumstance? And of course, it led me to only one place, really. And I preached on it here. I preached a series on it here probably, I don't know, four or five years ago when I went to Olivet and I, I preached a revival. I used uh, uh, this guy's story because I love this guy. Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he, he went to a city, a city in rubble, a city in trouble. And, 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 and you know the story. And in 52 days, built the wall around it. Awesome story. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you, if you're, if you're, you know, get out your phone or use the Bible in front, we're gonna be hanging out there the rest of the time. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you get to First and Second Samuel, keep going, First and Kings, keep going, First and Second Chronicles, keep going, Ezra, keep going, you're almost there, Job, er, too bad, go back, go back, go back, Nehemiah, let me give you a brief history lesson just in case you forgot, children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt, Moses led them out, remember his famous words to the Pharaoh, let my people go, he led them out, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, eventually Moses died, Joshua led them into the promised land, once they got in there, they fought the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all those other ites, they defeated them, and it became their land, the land of flowing with milk and honey, yahoo, they were supposed to be, uh, uh, they were doing great, everything was going great, but the people were wanting a king. And God said, you know, that's a really, really bad idea. You don't want a king. Yes, we do want a king. No, if you get a king, he's going to want a lot of wives. He's going to want a lot of money. He's going to want all your cattle and all your stuff. That's what a king does. No, we still want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. God said, I want to be your king. No, 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 we want a king. God said, all right, finally, have a king. They got Saul, bad king. Didn't take long before the Lord removed the blessing from him, put it on David. David became the king. David had his issues as well, but mostly he was a man after God's own heart. And David's son was a guy named Solomon. You remember Solomon. He was declared the wisest man in all the world. 
And even the queen of Sheba came and, and was glorified by all of the, 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 the things that Solomon had. But Solomon, at the end, he didn't use his wisdom wisely and he did all the things that God said what a king would do. He acquired more wives and more horses and more chariots and turned back to Egypt and all those terrible things. Solomon died and the nation went into a civil war and split into two. The kingdom to the north was called Samaria, it's, or it was called Israel. Its capital was Samaria. The ten tribes went north. Two tribes to the south became the, the nation of Judah, Benjamin and Judah. Its capital was Jerusalem. Both nations, for the most part, were... were had bad kings, terrible kings, turned away from God over and over and over again. Once in a while, a good king would get sprinkled in, but mostly bad. The kingdom to the north was probably worse than the kingdom to the south, and it was destroyed by the, na- by the nation of Assyria. That was in 711 BC. In 586 BC, the nation to the, no- or to the south, Judah, was destroyed by the Babylonians. I always remember this because, and that's during the, that, after the, when the Babylonians defeated the nation itself, that's when they, they carted off the brightest and the best and took them to Babylon. That's when Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all went to Babylon. You remember that story. 75 years of Babylonian captivity. Well, then a guy by the name of Cyrus, Cyrus the Persian, he came in and defeated the Babylonians. I always remember how this goes because A, the Assyrians were defeated the, the northern kingdom, B, the Babylonians defeated the southern kingdom, and C, Cyrus the Persian defeated the Babylonians. That's how I remember it. When Cyrus the Persian came in, he saw all these Jews in Babylon, so what are you doing here? Get back to Jerusalem, go home, get out of here. And the people were so excited, they had heard all these stories. Most of those people had never been to Jerusalem, right? 75 years of captivity. They hadn't been there, they only heard stories. And they heard stories, how beautiful Jerusalem, how wonderful Jerusalem, we can't wait to get back to Jerusalem. Well, they got back to Jerusalem, and guess what? It wasn't so beautiful. The temple had been destroyed. The walls were destroyed. They were in trouble. Enter our hero, Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets the word that, that Jerusalem is in trouble, that it's all rubble, that there is, you know, they need to have walls for protection in those days. Remember, it had to have walls. And, and Nehemiah gets this word in Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse, verse three, he, he, uh, people come to him, some friends come to him and says there, and verse three says, in great trouble and disgrace, Jerusalem is. The walls of Jerusalem are torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. We're in trouble, Nehemiah. We don't know what to do, but we're in trouble. It's a mess. If you want a mission, a vision in life, it begins when you discover that there's a problem or an issue. It really begins when your giftedness intersects or becomes aware or is intertwined with some great need. That's how vision is, is birthed and born. Your giftedness, your abilities, your talents intersects, become aware, intertwined with some great need. Maybe it's a need in your street, in your neighborhood, a widow that needs help. Maybe it's something grand and big. Maybe it's, it's, it's driving down Martin Luther King Boulevard here or, 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 or Chevrolet Avenue or wherever and you see there's a great need in our city. Nehemiah had that. He had that experience. He, he, they came to him and said, man, Jerusalem, it's in terrible shape. And verse four tells us this. When I heard this, Nehemiah is saying, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to really get a hold of that mission in life, that vision. It's, it's more than just seeing the need. It's more than just saying, oh, wow, there's, there's a problem there. That's too bad. 
know, anyone can see the need. It's more, it's bigger than that. It's when you see the need and your heart aches and you start to pray and you say, God, you gotta, you gotta do something about that situation. God, you gotta help that widow down the street. Her, you know, her house is in disrepair and you gotta help that, you gotta help her. God, you gotta help our city. You got, God, you gotta help that relative of mine who's always in trouble. You gotta help them. Now, let me issue this warning before you pray that prayer. Because this is what's gonna happen. Nine times out of 10. God, you gotta help them. You gotta send somebody. And God says, I know. And I got somebody, somebody perfect in mind. Who, God, who? You, you. That's what happens in Nehemiah. He begins to pray. His heart goes out. Lord, you've got to do something about your Jerusalem. It's in trouble. It's in trouble. It's in trouble. And he prays. And, and that prayer is, is verses 4 through 11 and a half in Nehemiah chapter 1. And there's two interesting things happen in that prayer. First, he confesses. He confesses uh, the nation's sins. He confesses his family's sins. He confesses his own personal sins. This is what I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. So he confesses. And then the second big thing that happens, he reminds God of his promises. Now, God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises. God knows what he said. And God, I'm sure, remembers what he said. I think he's reminding God of his promises because Nehemiah needed to be reminded of God's promises. Verse nine, but if you return to me, this is the promise. If you return to me, God said, and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth in Babylon, in Susa, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Really what's happening in this prayer, Nehemiah, as he's praying, as he's seeing the need and his heart is going out to that need, he is getting his heart in tune with God's heart. That's how a mission, that's how a vision is formed, really. When the, when the, for the vision to take hold of us, we need to see the need. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's right there, maybe it's on your street, maybe it's the city of Flint, maybe it's whatever. You see the need, your heart aches for it. God, you gotta do something. You really gotta do something. And then we humbly confess our role. Maybe it's a, a, a confession of, of commission. The reason there's problems in my family is because of me. And so, Lord, please forgive me. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a prayers of omission, sins of omission, where we didn't do what we could have done. Lord, I'm sorry for not... Take, for, for turning a blind eye, for going, for, 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 for just not paying attention, for not doing what you would have me to do. It's praying that prayer of confession. And then, finally, we get a heart that's tuned in to God's vision, God's hopes, God's will. We can claim God's promises. See, I really believe that for our next hundred years to be, to be better than our first hundred years, it's when we as a people, going back to First Thessalonians, when we have, have power and the Holy Spirit and a deep conviction that grabs a hold of us. Amen. And that's true for your life as well. You want to see God work in your life in powerful and glorious ways? It's when, when power and deep conviction are sandwiched by the Holy Spirit and God works and moves in great and powerful ways. That's what's happening here with Nehemiah. He's discovering all that. And all that leads to, this is all, that's all been introduction. It's 11.54. It's not the first Sunday of the year. I'm not going to keep you until, you know, the first Sunday of next year. We'll, we'll get through this. The, the, the most exciting thing in this whole first chapter 
is the very last phrase of the very last verse, verse 11. You know, the, the first part of the, of the prayer, Nehemiah sees the need, that's the first part of the chapter, one through three, and then four through 11 and a half, he's praying, and then there's this verse that's just dangling out there. The last part of the, the last verse, the last words in chapter one. And he says, says in those days, I was cupbearer to the king. That's a dumb place to put that phrase. He should have put that phrase at the first verse. You know, the memoirs of Nehemiah. And so the very first verse, verse one, it should have began, you know, in those days, I was cupbearer to the king, so my brother Hanani came and told me about all the problems in Jerusalem. That makes perfect sense. But it's not, it's at the end. After he sees the need, after he prays the prayer, then he says... In those days, I was cupbearer to the king. Remember, cupbearer to the king, it's not like a glorified butler. Cupbearer to the king was a huge position. In fact, it was the second most position in the entire world. Persia was the, was the superpower of the world. The king of Persia was in charge. And the, his most trusted advisor is the cupbearer. Because you, you've got to have somebody that you completely trust. Because if you've got a bad cupbearer, you know, he'll slip you a mickey and no more king. So you got, you got to have the person you most trust, your, trust, your most trusted advisor, second most powerful person in the kingdom, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king. So what's going on here? I think, I think Nehemiah is at a crossroads. I think what's happening here, he sees the need. Man, you got to come back to Jerusalem because our walls are destroyed and our city's in rubble. And he prays, Lord, you got to do something about Jerusalem because their walls are destroyed and their city's rubble. And, and God comes to him and says, Nehemiah, you're the guy. I need you. And here in this crossroads for Nehemiah. But God, I'm the cupbearer to the king. I got it all. Second most powerful person in the world. I got it all. This is what I dreamed about. This is where I, I thought I would be. I'm the cupbearer to the king. God said, Nehemiah, I got some bigger plans for you. Nehemiah is not the first guy in scripture that came to a crossroads. Lot came to a crossroads. Lot, what are you going to do? Are you going to pitch your tents with Abraham and be with him in righteousness? Or are you going to hang out near Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot chose poorly. Just ask his wife, Salty. She'll tell you, he chose poorly. Joseph came to a crossroads. Again, he, like Nehemiah, second most powerful person at that time in the world, next to the king of Egypt. His brothers came in and begging for food. He had an opportunity. He was at a crossroads. Do I stick it to those guys that put me in a pit? Or do I offer grace and mercy? He chose wisely. He offered grace and mercy. Samson had, was at a crossroads. What am I going to do? He's strong, Samson, powerful Samson, protector of Israel, Samson. And he, at that crossroads, gave into his sensual desires and he lost far more than his hair. Esther was at a crossroads. You remember her story. She, again, the pinnacle of success, beauty queen, queen to the, to the king. And Mordecai, her relative, came and said, listen, Esther, maybe, just maybe, you were put in this position for such a time as this. What are you going to do, Esther? She chose wisely and saved the people. Of course, the best example is Jesus, of course. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Remember, the devil came to him at the beginning, the beginning of his ministry. Hey, if you're the son of God, make everybody happy. Turn these stones into bread. 
Hey, if you're the son of God, flex your political power. Bow down to me and I'll give you the world. Hey, if you're the son of God, display your religious authority. Jump off the top of the temple and let the angels catch your fall. Jesus chose wisely and turned his back on that and went into the mission, the vision that God had for him. Of course, at the end of his life, after Jesus had had his last meal, supper with the disciples, and he knew that death was coming in the morning, and he knew that those closest to him that he spent three years training and being with and best friends with would all desert him. He knew all that stuff. And he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane praying while his disciples were sleeping. And you remember that prayer. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I know this is the mission. I know this is the plan. I know this is what you want. But Lord, this next 24 hours is going to be pretty rough. If you're willing, take this cup from me. But then those powerful words. Those words that I want to say. Not my will, but your will be done. See, Nehemiah, he was at those crossroads. What are you going to do, Nehemiah? I'm the cupbearer to the king, man. I got it all. And God said, no, I got something better. You can be the restorer of walls of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what he did. You know the story, 52 days, they built the walls. Let me ask you this. You history buffs, are you in history? Can you name one other cupbearer to the king of Persia besides Nehemiah? No, of course you can't. We don't know any of those guys. But Nehemiah, we know why. Because he was faithful. Because he heard God. God said, you're at a crossroads, Nehemiah. What are you going to do? Do you want the power and the might and all those things that you think are a sign of success compared to the king? Or do you want to follow after me? You may be at a crossroads today as well. I don't know what God has in store for you. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something uh, uh, normal than every day. There's a neighbor that needs your help. There's a friend at school that you can come alongside of. There's, there's somebody in your family that just needs somebody in their corner. Or maybe it's something grand. Maybe God's calling you to do something awesome. Maybe it's going on a mission trip to Panama. Maybe it's being a missionary somewhere. Maybe it's full-time Christian service. Maybe it's a, 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 you know, a doctor or whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't know. You say, but wait a minute, God. I've got all these other plans. I'm a cupbearer to the king. And God is saying, listen, I got something so much bigger than that for you. Just say, like Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Thank you for how you're working, for what you're doing. Give us a great year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.